This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. The Bible tells us that the Lord curses the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home or the house of the upright. So which are you, the wicked or the upright? And who makes the determination? Well, today on Viewpoint, we're going to be talking about something that is, well, to a certain extent, kind of difficult to talk about, because none of us want to identify with the house of the wicked. We would much prefer to be seen from the Lord's viewpoint as the house of the upright. But within our own homes, within our own houses, within our own spheres of influence, and within our own congregations, we have those who... Quite frankly, as we observe, it seems that they have very little intention of walking in the house of the upright, but seem to perpetually identify either behavior-wise or attitude-wise in the house of the wicked. Question, are they cursed? And what is it that brings us to the point of being cursed? And who, who does the cursing? Who does the cursing? The Bible tells us that God does the cursing, but then oftentimes people do the cursing. If people are doing the cursing, then are they doing it because God tells them to do it? God ordains for them to do it? God just releases them to do it? Or is there something bigger going on? We want to talk about this, friend, because life choices produce consequences that are also types for the believer in modern times. And we see that in the Bible, there are a number of situations where people were cursed. For instance, you might think of Cain and Abel. You see, Cain didn't much like Abel. In fact, he was envious of Abel. And because God received Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's, Cain said, okay, away with you, brother. And he did away with his brother. God said to uh, to, uh, uh, Cain, you are cursed. In fact, not only are you cursed, but you're cast out. Away, out of here. There are other places where God actually cursed someone. So today on Viewpoint, we want to talk about this subject of generational curses. Is there such a thing, or is every person just cursed according to their own behavior, their own will, their own actions, their own beliefs, or can those curses that attain to one pass on to the other? For instance, Noah cursed Ham, his youngest son, because Ham dealt cavalierly with his father's nakedness, and Noah cursed him. Did that curse echo on through the generations? And what if a curse does echo on through the generations? Is it possible to bring a, a stop to such a curse? 
We want to talk about all those things here today on Viewpoint, and I'm glad that you've joined us. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. Our special guest today, Alexander Pagani, with his new book, The Secrets to Generational Curses. Alexander, are you sure this is a secret? Did God reveal it? Is it a secret? And if it's a secret, then how are we supposed to figure it out? Well, I think the word... Well, first, thank you for having me on again. Sure. It's a a privilege to be here. I think the word secret is not in reference to anything esoteric, but as opposed to something extremely hidden. Mm. So I think the issue of generational curses is not something that is some sort of hidden knowledge that we have to seek out, but rather family secrets, Mm. something, something immensely concealed that I believe the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Truth and searches all things, wants to bring to light, to bring total, total restoration, recovery, and freedom to not just individuals, but the text says, be ye saved, you and your house. Mm. So God has houses in minds and bloodlines in mind unto a thousand generations. So he's always thinking generationally. So secrets is in reference to that which is hidden, extremely hidden and concealed, that God wants to bring to the surface and to the light. Well, we have uh, a minimum of two such examples in the Bible, uh, very serious examples, where uh, uh, as Israel was uh, being delivered from Egypt, they were attacked from the rear, surprisingly, by a people group called Amalek. And God cursed Amalek and told Moses to make sure that Amalek was destroyed. He said, I am going to destroy Amalek and its generations. And in addition to that, we find also that Esau sold his birthright. God was not happy with Esau. He said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, and he cursed the Edomites. Even a whole book of the Bible is given to the curse of the Edomites. How do we understand that when you say it's possible for us to be delivered from these generational curses? Well, I think in those two instances, those were isolated uh, scenarios with one particular group of people mm-hmm. and one and one person. You know, um, when, but when it comes to Esau, now we're, de- now we're dealing with a courtroom system because Esau fought, fell under the law of the firstborn and the law of the inheritance of family transfer. Right. So when you find that he gave up his birthright, you know, I'm sure in the natural he just literally wanted something to eat, but didn't realize that the words of his mouth and that which he was forfeiting um, had courtroom ramifications. Well, isn't that true also, uh, Alexander, with uh, many of us uh, here in the United States, in our churches, uh, people cavalierly going out and uh, having premarital sex, cohabitation becoming commonplace among uh, professing Christians, adultery becoming commonplace, adores, uh, adultery, uh, divorce, remarriage when your spouse is still living, it seems to me that we actually have purposely walked into the curse and don't want to do much about it. Actually, I would say yes. This is the reason why, with what you just mentioned, Jesus dealt severely when it came to divorce, because it was, a, it was also a courtroom thing. This is why he said, what God put together, let no man tear asunder. Mm. Because this is, it, it goes all the way back up to 
uh, back up to the courtroom. In regards to other things that you've mentioned, abortion and other things, these are courtroom, these are heavenly courtroom issues, and therefore immediately open wide the door for the initiation of a curse, uh, either on a person, a group of people, a territory, or even a bloodline or a household. So I would say yes. I, th- I think your, your response is... Uh generally very good i would have to really contemplate it to see how broadly it would uh, continue over uh, time we of course of course we know that reuben uh lost the firstborn's place because of his sexual uh foray with his father's concubine and so we see these things played out in the bible uh so much so that one person just this week said, if you're going to get rid of uh, pornography books in the schools, you've got to get rid of the Bible. We'll be right back, friends. Stay tuned. Oh this is Viewpoint. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. so glad that you've joined us here on Viewpoint today as we talk about a subject that is, it's a fascinating subject. And I'm sure that many of you, maybe most of you, have encountered discussions among other people, uh, maybe some people on radio or television, talking about generational curses and how to be delivered from them. Today, we want to first talk about the idea, the concept of generational curses, Uh, in order to understand uh, more completely what they might be. And then we'll talk about uh, the matter of, is it possible to be delivered from a generational curse? And what if God has brought the curse upon you? People do not think that God brings curses upon people, but the reality is uh, he does. The Bible says so. Uh, What our guest has to say about that, we'll find out. But, He says the revelation of generational curses is not easily defined or outlined in the Bible, the way many other things are. He says generational curses can only be discovered in two ways. First, by stumbling upon them unintentionally or by searching for them intentionally. So uh, let's take uh, your thoughts there, Alexander, how do you d- discover a generational curse by stumbling upon it unintentionally? Well, I was referring to the New Testament believer. In the Old Testament, it's clearly outlined. But in the New Testament, it's not. The believer ha- stumbles across it based on going through habitual uh, patterns of sinful behavior that they seemingly can't break from, even after doing everything that they know to do as a Christian, hmm. uh, to, to break them. Okay, so, well, let me let me just ask you this question. When you say simi- seemingly can't break from, or would it be better right. to say don't want to break from? Well, that goes a little bit deeper into the intention 
of a person. Well, it does, because when you when you deal with drugs, you deal with alcohol, you'll deal with sex and all of these things. They have a uh, a chemical effect that makes you feel good. And if you feel good, then why do you want to get rid of it? Even though it might be a curse, uh, you don't consider it that way because it makes you feel good at the moment. Because of the damaging effects that come afterwards, the feeling good moment lasts for a very brief moment, and then that's it. But then the consequences of what happens afterwards Mm -hmm. is either destroying them or destroying everything around them. So that's when they begin to realize, okay, I might might have a problem here. Now Mm -hmm. that's... Now we're getting into the area of addiction, and yes, I talk about that in the second chapter of my book of epigenetic modification, where the cells in your body might be inclined to a particular thing because it's been trained with information to to Uh desire those things. But you see people going through withdrawals. But um, if a person becomes aware that what I'm doing is affecting and damaging everything around them and people tell them or they see it, and they try to change, and they realize I'm having a bit of a bit more of a difficulty doing it. Mm-hmm. Then I would, I personally would say that the logical biblical answer probably would be, okay, maybe I might be dealing with a generational curse here, and then explore that, um, and then get set free. Now, the second way that I mention is people that have been set free from a curse in sharing this story that they got free actually inspires someone who didn't stumble across it but now became aware of it and oh, say you know what okay. hey that's that that's that's right i am dealing with that and then they go searching for it which means they didn't stumble i i stumbled across it in my own personal sanctification but now i'm sharing my freedom and i wrote a book now others are after they hear about the treasure in the field they're selling the field and going looking for it so that they could find the treasure that I actually told them exists, like a merchant searching for a pearl of great price. Uh-huh. So it's twofold. It's okay. Twofold. Now, some might say, okay, well, uh, yeah, I, I, I believe that these uh, so-called generational curses are uh, demonic. Uh, they're demons. And so we have everybody out there running around looking for a demon under every couch and in every drawer. Uh, everything is demonic. It seems to me, I'm, I'm going to just make a statement here, and I would appreciate your responding to it. Uh, it seems to me, and I don't deny the demonic. I don't deny the existence and function functionality of demons. However, it seems to me that our propensity to attribute everything to demons is actually subtly a way to avert any responsibility on our part. So the devil made me do it. Right. Give me your response. I absolutely agree with that. I actually do talk about that in my book of uh, getting away from, you know, uh, over-blaming the devil. You know, and mm-hmm. you know, and be, and you know, and being demon conscious and curse conscious. That's not the goal of the Christian. The goal of the Christian is to be Christ-centered, cross-focused, the mind of Christ, not yeah. the mind of curses or the mind of sin. Because you know, that turns so, us that turns us into uh, very close to uh, a kind of uh, witchcraft, doesn't it? I would call it deliverance idolatry or generational <laughs> curse addiction okay that's what it is it, 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 it's a fixation on 
uh, darkness rather than the light. You know, yeah. the ministry of deliverance is not fighting the darkness. It's turning on the light. When you turn on the light, it's an it's an it's it's an uh, it's a total selling out to being in the light. When you're mm. being in the light, darkness comprehends it not. So my goal has always been helping Christians turn on the light in an area and then remain mm. in the light. And if you remain in that light, then no devil or curse can harm you. But when you turn on the light, many times what we find is we've been in a dark room for so long. And when that light turns on, you realize the room is a mess. The ministry of deliverance is. Let's clean up those rooms. Okay. Now, the question always comes, uh, or frequently comes, can a Christian be demon-possessed? Now, you don't really deal with that, I don't think, in your book in that way, uh, because the, the purpose here is not to talk about whether or not somebody is possessed, but to talk about whether or not they're uh, involved either personally or uh, in, in a generational sense operating in their life through either ignorance, inheritance, or invitation. I, I like those words, ignorance, inheritance, or invitation. Help us to understand what you're talking about there. Well, first let me say this. A Christian cannot be demon-possessed, but they can be demonized. Or demon-influenced, okay. Or, or demon-influenced. The Greek word is uh, demonization, which uh-huh. means under the influence. It never denotes um, ownership. I think the American uh, etymology of the of that word uh, makes Christians be scared. So when they think of uh, you know the ministry of deliverance, they're thinking that you know we're saying a Christian can be demon possessed. No, we're saying a Christian can be demon can be demon influenced, and it's influenced in those three in, in those three ways. You know, through ignorance. I say by far the most that Christians are influenced by uh, generational curses. Um, is through ignorance. Is mm. through ignorance. Most Christians um, very rarely scratch, scratch the surface on this topic. The second way is through invitation. Obviously, somebody in our bloodline knowingly did what they, you know, did what they did, um, and has initiated has initiated uh, the curse, you know, in in the bloodline and influence. There's always, you know, influence around us. You know, First John chapter uh, chapter. Three actually talks about that, you know, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Right. All of that is all of that is environmental. All of that is around us. So, yeah, in those three areas, I would say the Christian is is battling day all by right. day, but definitely not to become demon conscious or curse conscious. The everything. one you did not talk about is inheritance. Well, I guess you did by implication. You did. So we've got ignorance, we've got uh, invitation, and we've got inheritance. So. It seems to me that one of the more difficult ones is invitation. What does it mean to really invite a curse into your life? By committing a transgression that warrants that level of consequence, which means 1 John chapter 5 talks about the different levels of sin. There are sins that don't lead to death. Mm-hmm. It actually says it. And then there are sins that do lead to death. When a Christian commits a sin, well, obviously all sins have been forgiven under under the blood and the cross of Christ. If you confess then, them. Exactly. That's where I was headed. If, if there is no confession, according to 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, then obviously there's going to be consequences. Now, let me just say this to, our, to your listeners. We're not talking about salvation. 
But the Bible, we're not talking about white throne judgment, okay? That's been taken care of. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You're going to heaven. If you have have confessed your sin and walk in righteousness. And walk in righteousness. Now watch this. But there is another another throne, and I love what the text calls it. There's a judgment seat of Christ. It's still judgment. The judgment seat of Christ. So that means he's still judging. He's still judging. Not judging in the sense of salvation, but judging in the sense of personal sanctification and application and day-to-day living. So the judgment seat of Christ, it's, it's still judgment. So the Christian needs to be aware of that. As a matter of fact, the text even says that your works could potentially even be burned up. That don't sound good. That means even in Christ, there is a level of consequences that still happen well, for the believer. Well, there are consequences that happen in this life, and then there are consequences that are eternal. The same Bible that you quoted also says that without holiness, no man will see the Lord. So we need to be very, very careful about uh, our use of the Scriptures in this regard, uh, not justifying people's uh, uh, rebellion, whether openly or tacitly. Uh, That's up up to God. So life choices, you say, produce consequences that are also types for the believer in modern times. We talked about some of that with regard to Cain, with regard to uh, 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 Noah's son, Ham. Uh, There are others. Uh, For instance, uh, Abraham had a son, a son by Mm -hmm. an Egyptian maid called Hagar. And there was a problem that occurred, and Hagar, mm-hmm. excuse me, Sarah, Abraham's wife, got pretty disturbed because Hagar got prideful about having a son when Sarah couldn't have one. So right. Abraham gave Sarah permission to cast out the handmaid, and here's what God said to Hagar. When she's out there in the wilderness thinking that her son is going to die, and God comes to her and says, look, here's the water that you need for your son. And he's going to be a great nation. There are going to be 12 uh, nations or tribes that are going to come from him. But he's going to be a wild man. Now, is that a curse? Question, is that a curse? God actually declared who he and his entire people group descendants would be. I personally think I would say yes, but I'm not actually sure. But I know that this something generational. There's some generational implications that are there. Aren't we seeing it played out right now in uh, world politics and with Hamas? 100%. That is exactly where I was headed. I personally believe that this particular curse that's upon the Ishmaelites is still being played played out today, not just with just Hamas, but many with the country that are the stands. Yeah. The stand countries uh, that are that can verifiably trace their lineage all the way back to most of them to to the Ish, to, Ish, to Ishmael. Yeah. I personally, I personally think so, and I think right. we're watching this play out right before our eyes in world politics. All right, it's not that every single person who is a descendant of Ishmael is is wild in in of themselves, but as a people group, uh, God said that's exactly what was going to happen. And we're seeing it played out in these end times. Friends, there's so much that we can talk about. We probably ought to have two or three hours to talk about this because there's so much qualification that needs to be 
uh, set as we talk about secrets to generational curses. And we aren't going to forget about uh, deliverance from from these, uh, how to walk free, how to avoid getting into them, and so on. That's really why we're here today, not just to talk about curses, but to talk about how to avoid them and how to be set free from them. The book, The Secrets of Generational Curses, it's a $20 book, yours for $18 on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org, give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. The generational curse can be broken. And both you and your household can be set free, says our guest today. We're going to talk about that when we get back. Stay tuned. This is Viewpoint. And don't forget, our viewpoint determines destiny, even on this subject. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, A Letter to Pastors, The Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. I trust, dear friend, that you are not having to deal in your life or in the life of your family or others uh, close to you with the matter of generational curses. On the other hand, it may be that you are and don't realize it. You are and don't realize it or don't admit it. You see, it's it's one thing not to realize something. It's another thing not to admit it. In other words, you want to keep it secret. How many television programs and movies have you seen where somebody in the storyline was keeping a family secret? For instance, uh, whether a child was actually the child of the perceived mother and father or whether actually the child was somebody else's child of some liaison earlier on. Does that lead to a generational curse? Well, maybe it could. Maybe it could. And we're not here to tell you exactly that it will, but maybe it could. But there are a whole slew of arguments that are brought up. I've heard them all, and our guest lays these out in his book. Uh, Examples of misinformation concerning this matter of uh, curses in a Christian's life. First of all, the first argument is Jesus became the curse, so we can't be cursed. What's your response, Alexander? Well, Jesus 
broke the power of the curse, not the presence of curses. No, he broke the power of the curse of the law. Right. Not curses in general, the curse of the law. He broke the power of the curse, but not the presence and the ultimate, you know, consequences of of those things, just like Jesus broke the power of sin, but not the presence of sin. We know that Christians still Christians still sin. You know, the In other words, Christ- we can give ourselves over to that because we hold this treasure in earthen vessels or the flesh. Right. I think what and excuse my getting a little deep because I, I I know that you enjoy when we kind of go there, but I think that, <laughs> that I think the injustice that American evangelicalism has done is we've taught our people annihilism and escapism in regards to salvation, which means you get saved, your problems go away, and you get saved, the sin problem is completely eradicated, and we have this false sense of security. Now, security and salvation, yes, yeah, security. Um, in the rapture, yes, secure that if I die, to be absent from the bodies, to be present from the Lord. So when the Christian starts dealing with earth, if you're walking with the Lord in the light of His Word, one hundred percent. If that doesn't happen, or trials are allowed by God to cause a Christian to develop perseverance and persistence in the faith and endurance, well, most Christians don't know how to handle it. They they don't know how to handle it, and for, for many. Uh, Matthew chapter 13 says they fall away. It yep. says when persecution comes because of the word, they they dry up and they die. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul talked about to the Thessalonians. He says that before the uh, identity of the Antichrist is revealed, there will be a massive right. falling away of professing Christians. Is that a curse? Falling. Or is that something that's the natural consequences of their refusal to walk in the ways of the Lord. I believe it's probably the natural consequences of refusing okay. to Okay, so it's not, it's not a curse in and of itself, you, in, unless no. you want to say you cursed yourself. Okay, next, sins of the parents. Uh, so the Bible says, uh, there's one passage there in the New Testament where uh, Jesus was asked concerning a blind man. Uh, did this man sin or was it his parents? And Jesus said, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the power of God may be shown in and through his life. In other words, by healing. So just because somebody, for instance, is blind, doesn't mean that it's a generational curse, does it? Absolutely not. It doesn't mean that. As a matter of fact, that's the reason why I actually brought it up. I Mm -hmm. brought it up to say that not all forms of you know, ailment and sickness and disease are always the direct result of some sort of initiation into some some transgression or some, you know, consequence of a curse, you know. But also at the same time, I'm also proving that that particular story is not to be viewed prescriptively, meaning yes. that everyone else, um, that there's no such thing as generational curses. No, this is, actually Jesus said in this particular story, mm-hmm. he, his blindness and his ailment was there because he knew years later he would heal it and it would be part of the narrative of the gospel story. Right. You know, so, but it's definitely not a, a prescriptive, you know, argument to say, well, you see, what Jesus meant here is that there's no such thing as generational curses. It's All definitely right. not, it's, it's descriptive, it's not prescriptive. The Bible talks, uh, that's a very excellent explanation. 
the Bible talks about uh, responsibility for sin and that we're all, we're all responsible for our own sin. So some people would say, yeah, so how could you say then that there would be a generational curse if we're just all responsible for our own sin? That's because in that particular reference, you know, the, the author is speaking individualistically, not corporately. He's not saying that corporately uh, generational sins doesn't exist. He's viewing it from the lens of the individual, the individual, and also the propensity for human beings to blame others for their irresponsibility and their failure right. to uh, either obey yeah. God and yeah. follow through, or therefore, you know, live for God and submit to his... In other words, every person is responsible before God at the end of his life. Every person is responsible before God for the deeds done in the flesh and whether or not he or she has actually not only confessed Christ at some time, but walked with him as Lord, right? Yes. Okay. 100%. Okay. Now... Uh, that brings us to some very interesting questions. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we didn't really deal uh, as strongly as I think with regard to uh, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Uh, right. There was a curse on the law. Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Right. And if you didn't keep the whole law then right. you were responsible for breaking the whole law. So if you just right. broke one, you were responsible for breaking all. So yeah. there was a curse upon the people for doing that. Mm-hmm. However, when Christ delivered us from the curse of the law, what he actually did was give us, when he left, he, he uh, gave us his Holy Spirit to guide right. us into all truth so that rather than, uh, shall we say, fastidiously and uh, just almost in a feverish way, trying to make sure that we didn't break any law, any law, any law, we're actually walking in the Spirit who is leading us to do not only what the law required, but everything beyond that in attitude and in spirit. I 100%. I 100%. I'm smiling on my end because I agree with you. I totally agree. Isn't that wonderful? I totally agree with you. Well, see, the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth, and it's the truth that makes us free. It doesn't set us free, it makes us free because you have to walk in it. People say it sets us free because they don't want to have to go through the making part of it. They don't want to have to continue to submit to the truth, so they say, no, the truth set me free. No. We always are prone to accept a view that doesn't require me to do anything. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Now, let me bring up uh, an issue here. Because we're, we're here to apply the Word of God. Right. And uh, so let's say that a family, a, a husband, a father, uh, was an alcoholic. And we have so many stories like that where my father or my mother or both of them were alcoholics. 
does that necessarily mean that you're going to be an alcoholic? Absolutely not. You know, okay, um, but it can create a proneness because yes. that is how you were raised. It can right. generate in you a proneness to alcoholism, can it? I talk about that in the second chapter. Through, I, I believe the scientific way of saying proneness, you know, would probably be epigenetics, which means oh, come on, yourself. now you're speaking Greek. okay so epigenetics epigenetics is you know a scientific discovery that the cells in your body Uh are programmed by whatever information that is given on how to act and once it's programmed you don't need to keep telling yourself to keep doing it kind of like when a person is first doing drugs or doing a sin they have to, obviously, everything in their body knows it's wrong. Mm-hmm. It knows it's wrong. It's fighting against it. Yeah. All right? And then you begin to train your body. Then after a while, you're no longer getting tempted. Then James chapter 1 kicks in where it says you're tempted by your own lust, which mm. means the devil's no longer tempting you. Now you're tempting yourself because now the cells in your body have been trained to desire those things. So if a family... Um, has lived in alcoholism, then I would say, yes, the children that have been raised in that environment are likely, not all the time, a lot easier for them uh, to be uh, inclined to go in that direction as opposed to someone else who wasn't All right. The same would be true for the ingestion of drugs. Uh, In fact, mothers are warned, don't drink during your pregnancy. Don't smoke during your pregnancy. Don't do those things. Why? Because those things are likely to affect and be passed on to your child. Right. Friends, we cannot disconnect ourselves from the reality of the way God has created us. But here's another question. Is DNA the same as a curse? In other words, is the curse actually, uh, shall we say, defined into your DNA? Listen to that question Try to respond to it after this break. Friends, again, get a copy of the book. It's a a great book, The Secrets to Generational Curses. Uh, It's a $20 book, used for $18, on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. We'll be right back after this. Many more questions, maybe many more responses. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by His Spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, Behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Is one's DNA actually a curse? And if it is, 
then how in the world can you possibly be delivered from it? It is who you are. What say you, Alexander? I would say yes, and it's found in the word iniquity. The word iniquity is in regards to nature. The, the, the genetic com- makeup of a person. Let me give you an example. So, well, hold on. Before you go any further, you're treading on very dangerous ground here. I'm just going to tell you, you're on very dangerous ground. What you are in effect saying is that homosexuality is in your DNA, and therefore you must be able to give yourself over to it because it's just who you are. Absolutely not. I'm going to finish this thought. But so when a per- let me use it as an example with lying. When a person lies, they commit a transgression. But when lying has evolved, or when the transgression has evolved to iniquity, they're not lying, they are a liar. It's a big difference there. You know, it's a difference between lying and then you're a liar. The liar implies DNA. It implies personality. It implies who you are. This is why God had to change Jacob's name, because he was a deceiver. He had to genetically break the curse. Now, um... If a person is dealing with, let's say, homosexuality, and therefore I'm born this way, obviously God says, do not, and you're commanded to not follow that. But if you are genetically born that way, Jesus answered that in John chapter 3, be born again. That, which means the nature has to completely change, and not only that, your genes need to be washed. In other words, don't give yourself over to your natural impulses. Not just that, but... Titus chapter 3 says, by the washing of regeneration. That's a compound word. That means the genes, the genes in your body gets washed, which means he will not only make you uh, stop doing homosexuality, he'll completely remove the desire to not even want to do it. That's what Jesus can do. I have some question with you concerning whether or not uh, iniquity actually means... Uh, the DNA, and I prefer your other description, that you can lie on the one hand, but if you perpetually and incessantly lie, you are a liar. Uh, That, I think, is a very good way to uh, express that. Now, very quickly, you, you ask the question, what is a curse? A sense of divinely imposed bad luck or misfortune. It means that a curse is not a demon. Demons carry out the curse imposed by the courtroom of heaven, but they are not the initiators of it. Uh, We wrongly credit the devil for what is irresponsible, sinful behavior that we initiated. What is a biblical curse in a legal sense? A warranted verdict given by the courtroom of heaven against a person, household, or place that committed a transgression against God's law. Not every sin warrants that kind of curse, but there are some that will. A curse is a divinely imposed judgment that causes misfortune in someone's life. And, of course, all of this is based upon God's viewpoint, not ours. So demons can't impose a curse on someone unless they have a legal right to do so. All right, Mm -hmm. that having been said, you have set forth, and we're going to have to uh, uh, go very quickly through, and I do mean very quickly. Uh, Mm -hmm. You have set forth... Uh, seven abominations that the Lord hates. 
And uh, this is one way to identify if God really hates something this bad, and it's defined as something God hates, uh, we ought to be very, very careful about uh, in, uh, somehow identifying ourselves with it. The first is haughty eyes or, or pride. God hates pride. Right. The next is a lying tongue. The next is shedding innocent blood. The next is false witness. Mm. The next is wicked plans. The next is running to evil. The next is sowing discord. And uh, these then are levels of depravity, evil, wicked, profane, uh, perpetual curses and plagues and so on. All of these are laid out. We don't have time to go through these in detail. But let me bring up something that uh, has come through news magazines, articles for the past several years. And that is, and, and we're going to use a number of analogies here. First of all, if there is divorce in your family, you are far more likely to become divorced. Number one. Secondly, if there is drunkenness in your family, you are far more likely to be a drunk. If there are drugs in your family and you associate with people that are with drugs, you are far more likely to be a drug addict. If you are obese and associate with other obese people, and remember, birds of a feather fly together, you are far more likely to be obese. Now, is this a statistical way? And I'm not giving the statistics. When I say far more, I'm talking a lot about 50, 60, 70% more. That's what the statistics show. So the people that we associate with, whether it's in our families or whether it's in our day-to-day involvements, we actually, those environments, those situations that we either intentionally or unintentionally expose ourselves to, set us up for uh, a kind of curse in our life, don't they? Well, the Bible actually says what you mentioned. You use the proverbial idiom of birds of a feather fly together, right? (laughs) Now watch this. The Bible actually says, that same thing, but not in that way. It says bad company corrupts good morals. There it is. So it actually, yeah. So it actually tells us that even being within the vicinity of that environment that's corrupt, it can seep into a Christian's life, and it doesn't say contaminated. It says it says corrupt. Corrupt is internal degradation, which means the breaking down of the molecules inside an object, which means you end up becoming the very thing you'd be around. So mm. I'm, 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 I'm elated that an article that you just read is actually proving what we've been saying biblically for many, many, many years. Actually, actually it's not it's actually, an article. It's many, many articles. Many, many very articles. Complimentary. Okay. Very, very complimentary. Yeah. Very quickly. Satan's weapons of mass destruction, vanity and pride, envy, Who can stand before envy? Envy, by the way, is what is driving Hamas, what is driving the UN against Israel, because Israel was chosen as God's special people. So gluttony, you said, 
racism, and uh, dishonor. Dishonor is a big one. He who dishonors his father or his mother, according to the book of Exodus and Leviticus, must be Mm -hmm. put to death. Now, if we really believe that, whether or not we would execute somebody for us today is not the point. The point is God considers the disobedience and dishonor of a parent Mm -hmm. to be so severe as to be dealt with with severe consequences. But what if we allow that to continue? Then what? Does that affect the next generation or generations after that? What we fail to confront in one generation evolves in the next generation. Whoa. That's all that's going to happen. You know what somebody else said? What you allow in one generation will be taken to excess in the next. Wow. That's another way of putting it. No, wow. Okay, now, uh, there are so many things uh, that you've talked about in your book, we just don't have time to get to them. So I want well, to you ask you the question. Back. you got to bring me back, then. Let's bring me back for another interview. Let's do well, it. <laughs> well, we might just have to do it, but let's let's not leave our, our listeners completely uh, out to lunch here. So let's right. talk about... Uh, the best way to be delivered from these curses is not to entangle yourself with them. Well, number one, very simple to kind of breeze through it. Make, make sure that you are born again. Those of you that are listening, make sure that Christ and the efficacy of what he did on the cross is the only means for your salvation. Make sure that you're in the faith. Make sure. Second is make sure that you're walking out total obedience to Scripture. Oh, now wait a minute, wait a minute. You just used a word that's the most hated word in the church today. Obey. (laughs) Obey. Obey. Maybe that's part of the secret why we have so much generational problems. 100%. Why? Because James chapter 4 says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. That's preventative measure, preventative protection. If the believer would just actually do that, then we'll find that ministries such as myself will not be needed as much as we are. But Christ, the great news is that regardless of wherever you're at in this cursed thing, Jesus came to set the captives free, and all you got to do is call out on him. He'll break the curse and then follow the instructions of the Holy Spirit, the steps necessary needed to make sure that you renounce, revoke, or reverse every generational curse. Okay. In other words, we've got to declare it with our mouth. That's an action of faith, isn't it? Yes. The word confession, I believe, is a legal term. Yeah. So you own up to it, and then you confess it, and then you say, Father, uh, by your grace and through your Mm -hmm. mercy— I am walking away from this pattern in my life or that has been uh, I've been presented with historically in my family. I am not going that direction again. And I'm trusting you to give me the strength to proceed, uh, proceed. And then we receive the words that God gave to Paul amid his difficulty My grace is sufficient for you. In other words, my enabling power is sufficient for you, for my strength will be made perfect in your weakness. Amen. And once they do that, within 
a short time there, trust me, they will begin to see the change in them, in their family, in their environment. They're going to notice a substantial, swift change. Without a shadow of a doubt, they're going to realize something has shifted. And when that happens, they're going to realize that the prayer that they made was not in vain. Because deliverance is not a power encounter, it's a truth encounter. It's a legal exchange. So when you fix it verbally, renounce it, repent, God does the revoking, the reversing, and the removing, and then you'll find you'll be receiving, restoring, and recovering. All right, one of the greatest curses today is the curse of pornography. 70% of professing Christian men admit to being taken up with pornography. 30% of Christian pastors admit to being involved in pornography. 34% of Christian women admit to pursuing a women's form of pornography. This is a generational thing. It's being passed down. It's being passed down to congregations. It's diluting the power of God in our lives. And you can't get rid of it by the laying on of hands, can you? No, it requires a, an ecosystem of things set up for them to make sure that they stay safe and stay free. Accountability partners, throwing certain things away, you know, openness and honesty, prayer, fasting, submission to the Word. It's a system that's designed uh, to help them get free and stay free, but it is possible. We are seeing multitudes of people in our congregation and people that fly into our church getting set free from pornography and staying set free. But I would say this, it's not a one, two, three, abracadabra, you know, prayer, right. but it is a uh, it is a system of choices that they need to make to ensure their freedom and their perpetual freedom. But it is possible, and we're seeing people get set free. And you can't be free if you're listening. That's right. Choose you this day whom you will serve, friend. We have to make the choice, and God will help us make the change. You make the choice, and God will help you make the change. The Secrets to Generational Curses... $18 will put this $20 book in your hands. Go to our website, saveus.org. Call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries. If you're writing a check at $5 postage and handling. This is a big deal. Choose life. Choose life that both you and your seed may live. been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.